Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife... The Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A A podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, everybody wants to paint this idyllic picture of small-town America. Well, there's a seedy underside to that. And if you don't have anybody watching the watchmen, keeping an eye on things, keeping people accountable, things can get out of control. There's over 20 unsolved homicides in Pike County. I want the community to realize this could happen to their family. This is The Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County. Season 3, Episode 9, Cold-Blooded. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. Over the last two seasons, we've covered a few local stories that we believed were unrelated to the massacre. Turns out, we may have been mistaken. This episode is dedicated to tying up the loose ends of these stories that have new endings or new developments. We're also exploring the intersection between many of the main players who also have ties to the Roden murders. The connections are undeniable. The Roden murders of April 2016, earth-shattering as they were, have pushed law enforcement in Southern Ohio to the limit. It's left their relatively small ranks hyperextended. As a result, as local cold case advocates like Angie Montgomery point out, many other local homicides have gone ignored. 
In fact, there are at least nine other murder cases in Pike County dating back to 2000 that have iced over without resolution or even charges issued. In light of the county's population of only 58,000, this number is staggering. Tracy Evans won the election, and he called me in January when he went into office and told me that he was going to try his best with the case and do the best he could with it. He got in contact with the BCI, and they were working on some things. Speaking is Angie Montgomery, a Piketon mother of four and spiritual advisor. Once her kids were grown, Angie decided to dedicate her life to being a cold case advocate. Here she is talking about Sheriff Tracy D. Evans, who took over the Pike County Sheriff's Office in 2020. This was after Sheriff Charles Reeder, who spearheaded the Roden investigation, pled guilty to corruption charges. Reeder is currently facing a three-year sentence at the Toledo Correctional Facility. Here's Stephanie and Jeff. Just as a reminder, Sheriff Charlie Reeder was the sheriff at the time of the Roden murders, and he's never been directly associated with the murders, but he, alongside former DA Mike DeWine, were very public talking about it at the time. And after a very thorough investigation, Reeder agreed to be suspended in July 2019, and shortly after was indicted on 18 counts. That included also racketeering. Beloved Sheriff Charlie Reeder was accused of stealing more than $14,000 from the sheriff's office and seized drug money. What he would do was go into these evidence envelopes that were in his possession, take out money, go gamble with it, and then put the money back before anyone noticed. And allegedly, he repeated this process numerous times before anyone even caught on. In September 2020, Reeder pled guilty to two counts of theft, one count of tampering with evidence, and then also one count of conflict of interest. Another matter that doesn't necessarily relate to this, but is just another strike against Sheriff Reeder's morality, is this story from 2021 that he was sued by county officials over collecting salary and benefits that they say he improperly collected while he was suspended as they were investigating all this other stuff that he had done. According to the lawsuit, Charlie Reeder collected over $120,000 from the city. It's not clear the exact status of this litigation, but it is just another strike against the sheriff. Here again, Angie Montgomery. We had a meeting with Tracy Evans in June, myself and Curtis's mother and Jenny's sister. And he told us that if the BCI decided not to assist with the case, that he was going to wash his hands with it. It's important to note that this is Angie Montgomery's recollection of events. We've reached out to Sheriff Tracy Evans for comment, but did not receive a response. The Curtis and Jenny Angie is referring to are her cousin, Curtis Francis, and his fiancée, Jennifer Burgett. The pair were found dead in their bed on December 9th, 2006, in their home at 124 Hopper Road in Piketon. 34-year-old Curtis and 30-year-old Jennifer were each shot once while asleep. The killings became known as the Hopper Road murders. According to Angie, Curtis and his fiancée, Jennifer, were excited to get married. They both loved hunting and fishing, and Chris was a jovial guy known for playing practical jokes. Curtis had just had shoulder replacement surgery and had a supply of pain medications. 
So one early theory was that the killers were after his pills. In the 16 years since the murders, the case has been opened and closed several times without a single arrest. It's currently a cold case. Sheriff Evans, who during his campaign promised voters to improve resources for victims, has deflected Angie's passionate pleas to reopen the case. He was done with it, basically. There was nothing more they could do that we would have to turn to the media if we wanted to get help with the case, which was kind of heartbreaking because, you know, he gets elected and tells us that he's going to do everything he can, but then he's flipping it around and saying if the BCI doesn't help, then I'm just going to wash my hands with it. So you're kind of contradicting what she told me. Kind of gave us, like, false hope, like this guy's really going to dig into it and do something. And um, turns around and says if the BCI doesn't do anything, he's not going to do anything. And he also said that he didn't want tips called into the sheriff's department, which I thought was very odd. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, or BCI, has offered no new support. Here's investigative reporter and journalism professor James Pilcher. Unfortunately, the Francis and Burgett case has been ruled a cold case now by both the Pike County prosecutor and the Ohio Attorney General's office. That happened about two years ago. So now it's on the shelf. There's no answers. And unless family members can come forward with new evidence or something just pops up or somebody walks in off the street and says, I did it, you know, that's pretty much what's got to happen for anything to move on this case. For Angie, this case has been a long and frustrating series of missed opportunities and snafus. In 2016, investigators discovered a hidden well at 324 Wynn Road, five minutes from Hopper Road. This well contained a saddle gun, a lever-action 18-shot. That is what Curtis and Jenny were killed with. There was also a pistol sunk in the swampy well. But according to reports, in the process of trying to flood the evidence out of the well, the fire department blew an 80-foot hole in the well and washed the guns away. And then there was the issue of the lost 911 call. Here again, Angie Montgomery. And then they tell me that they lost the 911 call. They're not very efficient with things. You would think that that would be one of the main things you would keep a hold of in a double homicide. So it kind of worries me that they did turn everything over that they have to the BCI. The BCI might look at it and say, well, there isn't anything here we can work with. That's where it falls back on all these cases, all these cases that are unsolved. It's the same thing. It's repetitive. All the families I talk to, they go through the same thing we go through, which is they lost this or they don't have this. And why doesn't a sheriff want tips called into the sheriff's office? You know, you got 12 documented unsolved homicides in your county. Why aren't you asking the public for help for these cases? It's like they're just shoved to the side. That's how cases become cold. Angie is still holding out hope that the BCI will reopen the cold case and look at it with fresh eyes. It's actually their cold case unit, which is through the Ohio Attorney General's office, and they are amazing. They just solved a 47-year-old homicide. They're really good. So if they do take it on and assist, I think that we'll get an arrest because they're good at what they do. But I'm also worried about what all Pike County has given them. 
What ultimately stands in the way of the Francis case finding resolution? Is it incompetence? Apathy? Like the killer behind this awful crime, it remains a mystery. I've got someone in Kurt and Jimmy's case that gave a statement back in 2006 when it happened. And he was the last person to see Curtis and Jennifer alive. And he went to the sheriff's office and gave them a statement that he was there. And those people, have they never called him back. They never followed up with him. And I had him go again and make another statement with Mr. Evans, the new sheriff, and turn it in. And I asked him every day, and they have not called him. They have not followed up with him. So to me, that makes me think that they don't care, period. Because that's a pretty big deal, someone saying they were the last person to see two people alive that were murdered. And you're not going to call them back and talk to them? It's eerie, the way things are done around here. We don't know where the Francis case will go, but there's yet another Pike County case this one involving a young man named Jacob Lansing that has had its own investigative issues. In January of 2018, Piketon prosecutors thought they had their man. Paul Deddy, 31, was all set to face trial in Pike County Common Pleas Court, charged with aggravated murder for the 2012 death of Jacob Lansing. But then prosecutors suddenly reversed course. Newly uncovered evidence exonerated Deddy, and the death penalty case was dismissed. Pike County Prosecutor Rob Junk, who's overseeing the Roden trials, described this case as one of the weirdest he'd ever seen. On October 27, 2012, Jacob Lansing's body was found underneath a vehicle at his River Road home. Authorities thought it was an unfortunate accident in which the SUV the 25-year-old had been working on fell on him but his mother Maureen was incredulous and took action. The fact that Jacob wasn't dressed in his usual coveralls while working on his car did not wash. Here again, Stephanie and Jeff. Rob Junk is one of the main prosecutors against the Wagners. And as we've come to learn over the years, he was involved with both Reader brothers. All of these names kind of keep coming back to each other. He had a very public social media spat with Sheriff Charlie Reader where Sheriff Reeder was threatening to take Rob Junk down, or as he put it, take the quote-unquote junk out. It turns out it was Rob Junk who would end up being an integral part in getting both Charlie and Brian Reeder removed from their posts. A lot of people have theorized that the main reason that Brian Reeder was removed from office was because of his handling of the Lansing case. However, it's been reported on that Brian Reeder was terminated over attendance records and sick time. This is according to Pike County Commissioner Blaine Beekman. As for Rob Junk, in January of 2019, he noted that his office is an at-will employer and he can, quote, let somebody go if I don't like the color of their socks. Here again, Angie Montgomery. He never worked on his vehicle in his work clothes. That's what was bugging her. There was a pack of cigarettes beside him and he didn't smoke. So she got a private investigator, did it behind the cop's back and got her own evidence and took all of her evidence into Rob Junk. Mm -hmm. And Rob said, well, we'll look at it. 
This was a rare instance where an insistent family member was able to move the dial with the prosecutor's office. Jacob's mom, Marie, never believed that his death was an accident. Now, finally, in late 2016, early 2017, she got Brian Reeder to listen up. Brian was the chief investigator at the time with the Pike County Prosecutor's Office. That's Rob Junk, who is now part of the prosecution team overseeing the prosecution of the Wagners. He opened an investigation and even had the, the body exhumed and an autopsy performed. And that revealed that he had been beaten and strangled to death. This means that Jacob Lansing's killer took his dead body, placed it under his SUV, and then precipitously dropped the vehicle to make it look like Jacob was crushed. A freak accident. But based on the new evidence, the death was ruled a homicide. Brian spent months and months following the leads and doing interviews to find these suspects. Zeroing in on a man named Paul Michael Allen Deddy, who he arrested in May of 2017. But in January of 2018, a week before Deddy's trial was to begin, Rob Junk, who I mentioned before, he was a prosecutor, dismissed the case without prejudice, and Deddy was released. He cited new evidence that popped up that affected the case, but he never told us what that evidence was. A year later, in 2019, Rob Junk fired Brian Reeder. Investigator Brian Reeder, who had been spearheading the probe, was let go from the prosecutor's office in 2019. He is the brother of Charlie Reeder, the disgraced former Pike County Sheriff. Apparently, Reeder's payroll records and personnel files were under investigation by the state auditor for some time. Due to Reeder's firing and the general lack of viable leads, the Jacob Lansing case stalled. No further arrests were made. In November 2020, Jacob's mother, Maureen Lansing, issued an $8,000 reward for information about her son's murder. It has yet to be collected. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So 
How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. What happened to Megan and Katie Lancaster? This is the harrowing story of two young sisters-in-law, one missing and one dead. This happened in a small town called Portsmouth, Ohio, 100 miles east of Cincinnati. It's a town of 20,000 people on the north bank of the Ohio River. Here again, James Pilcher. I believe Megan Lancaster got involved with some bad people, like the people that have been thought to have killed some women up near Chillicothe, and she got involved in that ring, or whether or not she just, something went sideways with one of her clients or whatever. I think Megan is buried somewhere in those hills of uh, Scioto County. It's not like Pike County, because you get down south of Pike County, you start hitting where the glaciers came through to create the Ohio River. It's very, very, very hilly. And there's all these hollers and valleys and woods and forests, and there's a lot of places to hide a body. And I think she's buried, or they dumped her somewhere, and she's gone. Megan Lancaster, a mother and former high school softball player, was 25 when she disappeared on the evening of April 3rd, 2013. Dressed in jeans and an Ohio State sweatshirt, she'd spent the evening with friends. Megan called her mother at about 7.30 to say she'd be home soon. There was no communication from her after that. Megan's white Mustang was located a few days later at a Rally's Hamburger in Portsmouth. 
her wallet was found on the front seat. She left behind her seven-year-old son, whose name was tattooed on her shoulder. Portsmouth police detective Steve Brewer spearheaded the missing persons investigation, but no one looked for Megan more intensely than her sister-in-law and best friend, Katie Lancaster. Megan had been scraping by as a sex worker and had fallen into a life of addiction. So the search led Katie into the vast and shadowy underworld of sex trafficking in Portsmouth. Undeterred, Katie threw herself into finding her sister-in-law. Victims advocate Angie Montgomery, who helped Katie in her search efforts, described Katie's fearlessness and determination. Their pursuit began with scouring Backpage, which sex workers often use to advertise their services. When I first started hanging with Katie, we would sit for hours with our laptops and go through that website back page looking for her. Hours. Like, we would get babysitters so we could sit and go through. And she would send us pictures. Like, Megan's got, I remember she's got a birthmark above her belly button. So we would look through these pictures of these girls because mostly they wouldn't show their faces. And we would look for that birthmark just hours and hours and hours of doing that. So in the beginning, I kind of did because she had a couple leads. She sent me a video one time of a girl in Columbus on Sullivan Avenue. It was a traffic cam that looked a lot like Megan. Katie would get in the car. She would get in the car and go to strip joints. And she would talk to pimps. She would talk to drug dealers. She was not scared to do that. And in the beginning, I did think she might be out there somewhere, but I don't think so now. I don't think she's here anymore. Angie says that Katie's fierceness inspired her own efforts to keep fighting to solve Curtis and Jennifer's double homicide on Hopper Road. I started to tell her a little bit about Curtis and Jennifer, and she's the one that told me to be a squeaky wheel because you'll get the most grief. I mean, she would go on television and talk, and I would watch her, and I'm like, man, she's so brave, and she would sit and talk with me and tell me, you, you got to do this. you got to be a voice. Nobody else is going to do this. You have to do this, you know. She's the reason why I fight so hard. I watched how relentless she was, how passionate she was, and she was kind of like my hero because there are a lot of bad guys around this area. And she was not afraid to stand up against the powers that be. Katie was well aware that there could be consequences for ruffling too many feathers with her insistent pleas for justice. She would always say, you know, if something happens to me, make sure you look into it. Make sure you find out that that's really what happened to me. Because when you do go up against the people and, you know, the law enforcement or attorneys or judges, there's always that fear of they might retaliate against you. And she knew that. But she also always said, you know, I'm on social media, I'm on TV, I'm saying what I need to say about these people to these people. That way, if something does happen to me, People will know to look into it, you know, instead of being quiet about it. So that always stuck with me. So the more she kind of pumped me up, the louder I got. Katie believed fervently that her sister-in-law got cut up with Michael Moran. Moran was a prominent local attorney who was later indicted on 18 sex trafficking-related charges. We covered his story in season one of this podcast. The indictment accused Moran of engaging in sex trafficking from 2003 to 2018, with at least six victims being involved. 
Here's reporter Bob Strickley, who covered the story for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Michael Moran is an attorney that's been practicing for several decades. He's originally from Ironton, Ohio, which is just up the river from Portsmouth. He operates out of an office that is right across the street from the Scioto County Courthouse. And he was appointed to fulfill a term on Portsmouth City Council and continued until recently to practice criminal defense law until his law license was suspended after he was uh, charged with different sex trafficking related crimes. Here again, Stephanie and Jeff. Moran's focus as a lawyer was Portsmouth's underworld, which gave him easy access to things like sex workers and drug dealers. He also has a connection to the Wagners. And just as a reminder, Pug Carter is actually Angela Wagner's father and George and Jake's grandfather. And he was allegedly using his pawn business to rip people off back in the day. He was also a frequenter of this nefarious place called Big Bear Lake. It's a location we've heard about for years, but haven't been able to speak about it until now. And it appears to be a place that intersects Michael Moran, Sheriff Charles Reeder, the Wagners, as well as the Rodins. It may be a key factor in the trials ahead. Big Bear Lake could hold deep secrets that pertain to the case. We'll get into that a little more next week. Here's James Pilcher speaking about Michael Moran and his connection to Pug Carter. I got to tell you, he would represent anybody that came in his door. And he specialized in low-level crime and drug offenses and DUIs and all of that. That was his specialty. That's how he made his living. The fact that a guy like Pug Carter came across his bow and he represented him was not surprising to me at all because that's what he specialized in. But now he was facing possibly career-ending allegations from a half-dozen women. Here again, Bob Strickley. I would say that the women that stepped forward are the ones at the forefront. It just took somebody hitting me over the head with a fish to actually start paying attention to it in the regard that it demands. What set this one apart for me was just the amount of women that stepped forward and said something about this to us and talked to us about it. And then also the apparatus that has to exist around a person like Michael Moran for an operation, as we reported on, to exist in the first place. A lot of people have to turn their heads. I think if anything, over the years of working on this particular story, it's kind of the damnability of people who just turn the other way and don't care about what's going on right in front of them in their community is more prevalent than maybe we all realized initially. The charges against Moran included three counts of trafficking in person, five counts of compelling prostitution, nine counts of promoting prostitution, and one count of engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. His arrest was orchestrated by a human trafficking task force under Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, combining the forces of the BCI and several other agencies. Moran was the first domino to fall. Multiple other people are still under investigation. Megan Lancaster had a color-coded notebook in which she kept track of clients. The entries included scribbles such as, quote, dance for and, quote, men who give money, and included Moran's name and number, along with a notation of $80. 
Again, Bob Strickley. There were rumors about Lancaster's disappearance being related to Moran for several years. Her sister-in-law provided us with her little address, like, slash phone number book with different numbers in it. Dozens and dozens and dozens of, of different numbers of men. Moran was listed in there. We called all of those people to see what their associations were with Lancaster and came back with what we came back with. But uh, she's still missing, and I give her credit for continuing to keep the issue forefront. According to investigators, there were at least six women entangled in his exploitative ring. Moran denied all allegations. Was Megan Lancaster just another piece of his disposable merchandise? After years of probing, the Megan Lancaster case went cold. In May of 2021, eight years after her disappearance, the Ohio BCI issued an age-advanced rendering of Megan as a forensic tool to reignite interest in finding her. Soon after, the case was turned over to the BCI cold case unit. Katie was hopeful, but nothing came of it. Meanwhile, Moran remained business as usual. Michael Moran was out on bond, and part of his bond agreement was not to practice law. And he was under investigation of possible suspension by the Bar Association, and he still showed up trying to defend a client in municipal court. So they rescinded his bond agreement, and they put him on house arrest with a bracelet. But that shows you that he was arrogant till the end. Then, in October of 2021, the tragedy deepened when Katie Lancaster, then 33, was found dead in a residence on the fourth block of Portsmouth. Angie Montgomery was devastated. I can't remember who told me. Somebody sent me a message about it. Of course, the first thing I did was cry my head off because she was one of my really good friends. She's the reason that I fight so hard. As reporter James Pilcher tells us, Katie's death was a possible overdose, possibly induced by the stresses of relentlessly searching for her missing sister-in-law. But no one knows for sure. Being the advocate can really wear on you. There's only so much fuel in the tank. There's only so much emotional fuel in the tank for something like that. And the funny thing is, is that she wasn't really, other than being her sister-in-law, she wasn't really technically related to her. She was really good friends with her. And then to, to lose her to possibly a drug overdose, given all of what's going on in Ciota County and Pike County, it was just such a tragic, tragic thing to hear. Given everything that that family has been through, as tragic as it is that she's gone, the fact that she kept going as long as she did and brought attention to this is one of the reasons why we had the story that we did. Angie has her doubts about the apparent overdose. Infiltrating the sex trafficking world like she was, could Katie have been silenced? I'm going to be honest with you. She was using, I didn't know it. Around this area, they find ways to make people quiet. Like at first, when I found out that it was a supposed overdose, I was like, no, something's wrong. There's been people here in Pike County that have died of apparent drug overdoses, and everybody knows better. As brutal as the fate of these two women is, it did raise awareness of the struggle of women living in the margins. Bob Strickley. It certainly is taking, you know, an Epstein-Weinstein sort of 
story and saying, yeah, it can happen here too. There's positions of power littered throughout our society that are in a spot where they can abuse where they stand because they're marginalized people who nobody will listen to. This was a small town example of a lot of really brave women stepping up and telling their stories and hoping that something changes. James Pilcher points out that small town cases of sex abuse are systemically no different from anywhere else. The one thing that this did was made me so much more aware and so much more interested in telling the stories of all these women all over the country. It doesn't matter if it was small town, Portsmouth, Ohio, or suburban Chicago. I've spoken to girls who got trapped into it by their uncles and they've lived in pretty affluent suburbs of Seattle. This sex trafficking is an onerous, evil thing that is going on everywhere. It's never going to stop. Until you make it harder on the men for buying the sex and going after the sex than it is for the women selling the sex, who most likely, more than likely, highly likely, are being coerced into it, it's never going away. I will say that's one thing that I took away from that whole experience is just how wide my eyes were opened to this whole seamy underbelly of American society. Let's stop here for another break. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In November of 2021, Michael Moran, who had a number of health issues, died while out on bond after a brief hospital stay. His case was then dismissed. But Moran might have left behind a more wide-ranging network of abuse and exploitation. James Pilcher. The women whose lives he ruined are not getting a shot to face him in court and face the person that did this to them. But there's so much more to that story than just Michael Moran. There's so much more what was going on in Portsmouth and how his operation had created all of these webs into branches of government. I really think that There are people that do not want it to go any further now that Moran is dead. You're opening a whole can of worms. I mean, they had opened an investigation into all of the previous convictions and trials overseen by William Marshall, the judge, who was known to pal around with Michael Moran, who was possibly named in the federal affidavit that first turned us on to the Moran story. And that other women said that they slept with him and that Moran set it up. According to an article published in April of 2020 by the Daily Independent, in 2019, more than 2,700 cases Judge William Marshall oversaw were reviewed by the state. This happened after it was revealed that he was potentially involved with Michael Moran's sex trafficking ring, among other allegations. He has never commented on these controversies. Angie describes her reaction when she learned Moran was dead. I turned my phone on and it was blowing up. I was like, oh God, something happened. And I seen it and I was like, that son of a bitch. That's horrible to say about someone passing away, but I thought, man, you got away. And you took all of his secrets with him because there's way more than him involved in all that. I'm hoping that he spilled the beans and told the whole story before he passed away, but I don't know. He was an awful, evil man. There were other people involved, and they need to be 
prosecuted for that. There's women that are dead because of that. And women that are missing because of what he did. For years, he denied it, but everybody knew what he was doing. It surprised me that it took that long for something to be done about it. It was a long time. People have been talking about that for 15 years. But as Angie says, in the end, Moran will still meet his maker. And maybe there's reason to hope for a brighter future. Again, James Pilcher. Portsmouth is actually better off than Pike County. There are new people in positions of authority now. They've got a new police chief. They've got a new mayor. I mean, you still have the poverty. It's still one of the places in Ohio with the highest rate of overdose deaths and opioid addiction. But as for the town moving on from the corruption and all of the things that were happening when Moran was there, I think they're trying to turn a corner. More on that next time. If you're enjoying the Piketon Massacre, listen to our other hit series, Crazy in Love. New episodes air every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. For more information and case photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Piketon Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, Alan Weeder, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Jared Aston. Audio mixing by Ken Novak. The Piketon Massacre is a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. 
Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.